I am a creature of habit. It just comes to me naturally. I think that's why I respond very well to being Methodist. Uh, don't, <laughs> not to worry, though, because the stand-up, sit-down, fight, fight, fight that we experience each Sunday, um, there were quite a few times in my previous churches where I was like, you may be seated. Now take a deep breath and stand up again. Okay, let's move on. So you're not the only one, okay? <laughs> there are times in our life where we focus on what's next. We focus on the right now, right here in front of us, instead of maybe what's a little bit later. My regular routine is the girls wake up. My husband has gifted, been gifted with the talent of ironing, and so he takes that very well and, and begins to iron the family's clothes for the day, and I'm curling hair because he does not have that gift. And so it's a process each morning. We get the girls ready, we get ourselves ready while they're eating breakfast. We make sure that they have everything they need for the day. And, and again, we walk out the door and we usually have forgotten to check the weather. So we turn back in and grab whatever we need and then try it once more. But what about in our faith and in our worship? We go through the morning routine and we arrive here. We greet a few people. We sit in our assigned seats because, let's be honest, we know that they exist in this place. We have our songs. We have our prayers. We have music that floods our souls. But is that where we leave it? In the routine, in the expectation of life, a lot of times we come knowing, but do we come expecting Today we're talking about crisis of faith and we're comparing it to the story of John Wesley. In his life, he, he experienced his crisis of faith quite on his own. But he was known for other things as well. He hoped to glorify God in everything that he did. In his thoughts, his words, his deeds, he would wake up early, incredibly early, to pray he fasted two days a week. He studied his Bible daily. He received communion weekly, sometimes daily. He visited those in prison, the sick, the elderly. He even refused to cut his hair because what it would cost to cut, he would then give that money to the poor. You see, all these are good things in and of themselves. We, we applaud his life and the way he lived he was clear that salvation was not the result of doing all these things, but that salvation is a gift from God. Yet while he knew all of this, he did not know it in his heart. Wesley noted himself that, I have been charged with being too strict, with carrying things too far in religion and laying burdens on myself if not on others, which were neither necessary nor possible to be born. Wesley dismisses these charges, but there's truth in it. As long as we put this guilt upon ourselves, this expectation that it has to be a certain way, this obsessive compulsion that we have, we'll never experience it enough. We miss the point of the gospel and lack the joy that our faith is meant to have. Today we come to that moment when Wesley experienced the key to healthy, passionate, 
authentic Christian faith. The match struck and it lit a fire within him. You see, when he came over to Georgia, and my child thinks that Epworth is named Epworth for no reason instead of where Wesley was living, but when he came to that area, there was something that he was desiring to do, to minister to the Native Americans, to bring faith and religion and and practice over here. Well, he was arrested and Usually when the preacher is arrested, church attendance tends to fall off. I mean, I don't know about you, but church attendance plummeted. His ministry was compromised. His trial date kept being postponed. And the magistrate issued the foreboding word of him not to leave. On December 22nd, he snuck out of Georgia, boarded his ship back to England, And felt like an utter and complete failure. He was humiliated and rejected. He arrived back in England around January of 1738. His hopes and dreams for this ministry were lost. But Wesley didn't know it at the time, but his rejection, his spiritual and even pastoral failures, had a vast impact on his world and even ours today. His failure in the the face of death, when that ship on the way back and the storms being tossed about, it led him to search for something more. Do your crisis ever allow that? Your failures, your burdens, your woes of life, does it ever ignite something within you to search deeper? harder, looking for something more. Most of you are aware of Jonathan's story. That was my kind of crisis moment. His brain surgery, followed by five days later, gallbladder surgery, followed by the same day, blood clots. It kind of brings about a crisis of faith. He was knocked out. He doesn't remember, but I remember it very well. And I also remember wondering and asking God, why? Why did I find myself in this situation? Why do I have to go through this? You ever ask that question? Why? Why, God? I do know that three months later, a mother and her eight-year-old boy was diagnosed with the exact same little tumor that Jonathan had in his brain. And it became very clear of why we go through certain things to share with others. I love what Romans says in another passage from Romans that speaks out to me from Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The challenge for many of us, however, is that we spend so much time Blaming others for our failures. And maybe a great deal of time expressing disappointment in God. God, I can't believe you let this happen. And we fail to become teachable. We fail to learn from our experiences. You remember the the, the faith that Wesley had been pursuing had been built around rules and obsession almost of, of a very methodical way of practicing I love 
the practicality that we have. Wesley had rules, but he also carried with him guilt. He had the head knowledge of the gospel, but it hadn't reached his heart. And it led him to this crisis of faith. It led him to that moment when he was so discouraged that he had hit bottom, realizing that all his attempts to please God had failed, and he was a miserable failure. He writes this, this is his own words, from May 24th, 1738. Remember, he had just gotten the ship back to England in January of that year. He writes this, In the evening I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, a church service, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistles to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley came to a moment of faith, of belief. This is in May of 1738. He had just gotten back from Georgia where he was preaching faith to Native Americans, a ministry over there, yet he wasn't experiencing it himself. It was this moment in in a meeting that he was dragged to, right? I didn't want to go. What about your own personal faith? Think about that time in your life where you accepted Christ. Could you say that your heart was strangely warmed? I don't have an exact moment that I could pin like May 24th, 1738 that Wesley could go to. I grew up in the church. I was born and raised in it. I was there just about every time the doors were open. Thanks, Dad. But I remember my Sunday school teacher and how the felt board would come to life in the stories of our faith. I remember in fourth grade, which was my confirmation year, kneeling at the altar and the preacher praying over us. And I was so worked up that as soon as it was over, I was sick to my stomach running to the bathroom. I remember being a high school student and a college student questioning my actions knowing that God was calling me to something more. I remember the moment we had gone on a family vacation, and I was going to tell my dad that I felt the call to ministry, and I wasn't going to be a civil engineer anymore. You see, I'd already gone to school two years to be a civil engineer, and all of a sudden I'm changing my mind, and I remember seeing just the cloud, we call it heat lightning, I guess, you know what I'm talking about, and just striking across the sky, but nothing to damage us. I also remember being a youth minister here at Pittman Park and feeling like a failure that God was closing the door to ministry because I didn't feel successful. I also remember a very amazing man of God that told me that this is not a door closing, but it's God working in and through the failures to show 
himself. That's my coming to faith. That's my heart strangely warmed. But I do know that God justifies us. He forgives us of our sin, our heartache, our failures, our rebellion. And allows us to have that light within us to serve so faithfully. What happened to Wesley on Aldersgate Street propelled him to passionately proclaim the gospel all across the British Isles and even sharing ministers to come over here and allow us to be in this place today. We hear of ups and downs, of heartache. We hear of what other people have said about Christian struggles I want to share with you just a few of these. Thomas Akempis writes this. A wise and good man will turn examples of all sorts to his own advantage. The good he will make his patterns and strive to equal or excel them. The bad he will by all means avoid. What about from Martin Luther King Jr. who wrote this. Change does not roll in on the wheels of inevitability, but comes through continuous struggle. And so we must straighten our backs and work for our freedom. A man can't ride unless your back is bent. And then one of my favorite authors, Max Licato, writes this. The next time you find yourself alone, In a dark alley facing undeniables of life, don't cover them with a blanket or ignore them with a nervous grin. Don't turn up the TV and pretend they aren't there. Instead, stand still, whisper his name, and listen. He's nearer than you think. You see, the key to the life God intends for us. Not that we work for salvation, not that we do these things to receive salvation, but that we live in relationship as children to a father who has already said, I accept you. I accept you. You are accepted. You are mine. Have you accepted God's grace given to you? Have you put your trust in his life? This simple trust changed John Wesley's life, and it can change yours as well. Trust God in the crisis. Trust God in the failures. Don't give up. Placed in God's hands, they can be our most defining moments, or they could lead to outcomes we never expected but are profoundly grateful for. God makes all things work together for our good. Trust God's love. You are already accepted. You are loved. Your sins are forgiven. When you rest in that, your life is no longer about guilt, shame, obsessively trying to get God to like you but instead living in a grateful response to a love that will never let you go. In a few moments, you will come and take in Holy Communion to experience God's love and presence.
Wesley called this a moment of sanctification. What takes place at this altar can be life-changing as we come to receive the presence of God, to remember what Christ has done for us. As you come, I ask that you prayerfully consider whether you've accepted God's acceptance of you. Are you confident in your heart? Have you experienced that moment to be strangely warmed by the gospel? Ask yourself if God is calling you to do anything more or different as his ambassador. Commit your life to faith and God's work and seek opportunities to take part in that work as you go. Share this 